Welcome to the Jesus Movement Podcast, presented by Awaken the Dawn. We host conversations so you can hear stories from across the movement, receive fresh biblical insights, and gain practical tools to experience more of Jesus's presence in your life, ministry, and city, because we believe Jesus changes everything. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast episode. I'm Matthew Lilly. I'm your host today, and I have special guest and friend, Ty Lamb from the Luke 18 Project and IHOP Kansas City with us today. Ty, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matthew. Greetings. Good to be here. So awesome to have you, man. So for those that aren't familiar with Luke 18 Project, they are a campus prayer movement that exists to fuel a culture of prayer and fasting to contend for revival and awakening on college campuses. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Yeah, you ever read your own mission statement and get stirred again (laughs) for what God's called you to do? Um, Slash Lord help us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Ty, you've been a friend of Awaken the Dawn over the years. I know a friend of David Bradshaw, and you and I have connected a number of times over the years as well. And uh, so we so appreciate you and all that you're doing. Maybe just take a minute and introduce yourself. Yeah, it's good to see you, Matthew. We've been here in Kansas City a good uh, 14 years in collegiate ministry, the better part of 20 some odd years, and just in my 40s now and still, you know, burning for young adults, college campuses, and believing for another great awakening. I I read the history books and read what God's done in previous generations, and I think my faith is stirred afresh. Lord, if you did it then, why not now? And why not college campuses again? So believing still and just expectant for what God wants to do in Gen Z. Mm, yeah, for sure. I know you've got three kids, wife. We were just talking, our kids are, are similar in age. So you've been at IHOP, International House of Prayer in Kansas City. You said 12 years? Is that what you said? 14 years, yeah. 14 years, yeah. How did you end up getting into the swirl there in Kansas City at the House yeah. of Prayer? The magnetic swirl it is. You know, it really <laughs> wasn't the the plan to to be here long term. I mean, mostly we're coming through on a sabbatical season back in 2008 and uh, newly married. And we were mostly in a season where we just wanted to to find Jesus, hear from the Lord. And um, we had come out of a season of planting in California. We thought we were headed to the East Coast, but the Lord intercepted us as we paused for for a brief season, Kansas City, brief turned into three kids in 14 years. And we're still well, if here. If you ever want to keep coming this way, we're here on the East Coast. We'd love to have you. <laughs> Thank you. I've made many trips to the East Coast over the years, yeah. but the Lord has us quite magnetically planted here um, in Kansas City. Sure. Not by our, our primary choice, but we have grown to be very grateful for his leadership and placement and for the house of prayer for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. How has that, you know, being in that environment of 24-7 prayer worship, I assume that that has affected your approach to campus ministry and your understanding of how to how to reach out to college students and that kind of thing? You know, I, yes and no. I, I mean, yes, but but I think that, that less of how to reach college students, more so, mm. I think I probably came from, you know, a context that was very much go reach, plant, do. And I think if there's anything that Kansas City and the House of Prayer here has really done in me and done in us is really slow us down. That mm. that more than 
you know, the activity of go and reach, it's go low, be slow, and, and behold students, young people well, you know. Mm. And I think as you're endeavoring to love well, model a Godward life that really is centered on Jesus, where it's about him and not what we do in ministry. That's been the, the big shift for us. And it's taken a long time, you know. I feel like most of my 30s, I was in a hurry. Most of my yeah. life, I've been in a hurry, you know. Yeah. And so, so now in, in the 40s, um, really just finding, you know, the, the significance of the faithful versus the significance of the more and the impact and the, the grow. Oh, that's good. I like that. I'd love to, to get some perspective from you on what God's doing in this generation among young people, maybe some of the good things, some of the bad things. Before we go there, tell us just a little bit about Luke 18 Project. You introduced yourself, but you didn't necessarily share about your ministry. Maybe just share briefly kind of some of the things that yeah. you guys are doing. Luke 18 Project, you know, really at the end of the day, we're, we're mostly a resource to students campus ministries on campuses. And I think our heart ultimately is to give courage and vision for young leaders on campuses to have a sustainable culture of prayer with a target for harvest, for, for impact of the gospel, for really the, the, the long-term target of seeing revival amongst believers and spiritual awakening in their generation. Hmm. And, and, you know, it, it's a funny target, you know, to have of, of revival and awakening because we don't want to create an expectation that the, if you pray, God will move during your four years. But, right. but we do want them to develop, you know, a life of regular rhythms of, you know, prayer from intimacy with worship for harvest and for revival, um, knowing that, that God will, and, and it may not be exactly how they think, but, but really giving them faith for what's possible and the who knows um, of the Lord. And so, so yeah, so we're, we're mostly wanting to just train, equip, resource, strengthen students and leaders in the culture of prayer on campuses. And, and yes, we want to see revival on campuses and spiritual awakening in Gen Z. So you guys are resourcing, you're equipping, you're connecting. So you've got, you know, connections at people leading campus ministries or students on a number of campuses kind of all over you know, the United States in various places, how many relationships or connections, or I don't know how exactly you guys are set up a network or whatever, but how many campuses would you say you guys are connected with in some way? And maybe you can clarify my question with. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a great question. We get that all the time. We really endeavor to not count as, as our metric. Right. Um, for us, it's more about relationships and um, it ultimately comes down to who we're invested in, invested with. And so we really moved away from the, the strategy of planting as our primary way of growing prayerfulness on campus. Mm. And, and we really pivoted you know, a number of years back to really growing a family of believers across the country just with common values. And so you know, we have leaders who are on staff with Chi Alpha and InterVarsity and Crew right. and students you know, are part of different networks and ministries and churches. And so w we operate very ecumenically it's such a weird term but but sure. but we don't really live in just one lane and sphere and space and it really is kind of a broader family of affection around you know common values of prayer worship intimacy revival family and so it's a loose network would be you know too strong and family right. would be probably the closer ethos um, but it's mostly connections by relationships you know like ATD would be family to us 
and it's very you know informal and it's a lot of collaboration and partnership and things like collegiate day of prayer you know it's it's just ministries that we're closely akin with and and share you know heart values um, and get to do a lot together and and get to believe with each other and labor together yeah that's great so Rhett, you're not trying to get luke 18 groups on every campus rather you're serving what's what god's already doing there connecting with the student here, a leader here, you know, kind of as God opens the doors and, and trying to really infuse that culture of prayer, fasting, revival, sort of into yeah. the body of Christ on the campuses, kind of wherever you can as God builds it together. I love that. And I guess the Collegiate Day of Prayer has has opened some doors for that because I know that that's a, a massive collaborative effort. When is it? It's in February. Is that right? Last Thursday of February. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do you want to share share a minute about that, and then we can talk about Gen Z. Yeah, um, you know, collegiate air prayer was really something that came out of relationships. It was you know a number of collegiate ministry leaders. You know, back in two thousand nine, we were together in New York and just talking stories and you know remembering you know just the works of old and um, just remember hearing about this concert prayer for college campuses that you know happened in, in the early 1800s and coming out of the first great awakening, this hundred year old prayer meeting. And we were talking about her and her earlier, you know, in American yeah. history, the collegiate day of prayer would be the oldest day of prayer in American history. And, you know, it goes on wow. for a hundred years, 1815, about the early 1900s and um, fruit of the first great awakening, catalytic second great awakening. And um, this next February will be the 200 year anniversary of every major denomination adopting this concert of prayer for college campuses. And so so wow. it's been just a beautiful thing, just, you know, just as friends, really hearing the stories and saying, what hinders us from doing this again? And yeah. just within our spheres of, uh, of influence and networks and organizations, we just started mobilizing prayer from campuses for campuses. So getting, you know, students, college ministries to pray for their campuses, getting churches and believers in their cities praying for their campuses, and then, you know, mobilizing the broader body and so it's been a really cool work of grace and seeing the Lord really raise up mamas and fathers and churches and and movements to really come around the 4,300 college campuses in the U.S. and and really pray for every campus by name and believe together for revival on campuses and, and awakening in our generation. That's beautiful. We'll, we'll make sure we have the link to Collegiate Day of Prayer, Luke 18, and all, all that kind of stuff in the description uh, so that people can, can check that out when it comes around in, in February and uh, engage because I know you're not just trying for that to get students to pray, but you're actually trying to get everybody to pray for, and, and even adopt certain campuses on that day so that the students are just covered and saturated yeah. in prayer. So Collegiate Day of Prayer, especially in Luke 18, you're connecting with people, all different campus ministries. So you probably have a unique perspective on some of the trends, some of the things that God's doing on college campuses. You probably have some great stories. You probably have some concerns and prayer points in your heart. Uh, you mentioned Generation Z earlier, and that's kind of the generation that sociologists talk about after the millennials that are kind of teenage, you know, college age right now, you know, young adults. And you seemed expectant. You seemed excited about what God was doing in Gen Z, which is encouraging. So what stirs you with excitement and faith for what you're seeing in this generation? Yeah, you know, I, I think... Ultimately, it really is that I think the Lord has zeal and desire. Mm. You know, I, I think 
really with every generation, I think the Lord has great, you know, desire, great plans. And, you know, for us as ones that are older, I'm just stirred by Malachi 4, just as fathers, just are turning our hearts to the next generation. And I don't know about you, Matthew, but 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 I'm starting to feel you know less relevant, less cool. I, I surely don't speak Gen Z. You right. know, just I'm you know a Gen Xer, and ministering to millennials is you know cross generational. Ministering to right. Gen Z is cross cross generational. Um, <laughs> but I think you know as irrelevant as I may feel in terms of not being as um, as savvy culturally generationally. I mean, my confidence ultimately is that the gospel is so relevant. And yeah. uh, I was at a Gen Z leadership retreat a few weeks back, and you know, it was about thirty some odd young Gen Z influencers, um, just ones you know in different spheres, from Hollywood to music to you know s- social, and you know, just these ones that are sixteen, eighteen, and twenty year old that are sincere in their faith. You know, really wanting to be steadfast and wholehearted, you know, in their pursuit of Jesus. And I was there for a weekend with a number of other, you know, forty-year-olds as mentors to these Gen Zers. And you know, I, I was just so moved. I, I think I came away just with fresh faith, you know, for what mm. God wants to do when there's young people that are humble and hungry, that the Lord so shows up and responds to, to humility and hunger. And, you know, we, we had just a weekend of being together and the Lord really just stirred our hearts, stirred my heart afresh for these young ones. And, and just even in, in just this very unusual, tumultuous time in our country, everything from everything COVID, you know, to everything, racial tensions and, you know, like public health divisions and school shootings and economic inflation and yeah. challenges. Wow. That, that in the midst of the shaking, you know, that I think there's an invitation for the Lord to have our attention and our gaze. And, and, and I think that, you know, for every generation, you know, he's calling, you know, like every 20-year-old, 40-year-old, 60-year-old, 80-year-old, you know, to return to him with all their hearts. But I think for the young person who's on a high school and college campus where their world is really, the, the ground is moving underneath them, that there really is, you know, invitation for for the believer to really set their hearts on Jesus, and, and really mm-hmm. for those that don't know Jesus yet, that these young believers would be faithful to point their friends and their peers um, to the one that really keeps us in the place of unshakable faith because of who our confidence is in, and not the world that's around us. Yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, I, I've just anecdotally seen some of that hunger in Generation Z. I mean, I, we did a conference with Awaken the Dawn, small, but focused on Gen Z earlier this spring, and just seeing the hunger on people's hearts. Being in Kansas City for ATD and for The Send, and seeing hundreds, maybe thousands of Gen Zers that were there, worshiping their hearts out, pursuing God, you know, you get the sense that God is moving and that the Lord is stirring. And it may not be 90% right now <laughs> in Gen Z, but there's a remnant, so to speak. You know, there is a crew that's that's really hungry. I'm seeing it locally, you know, with our church where there's a group of students that on their own accord, you know, high schoolers just started getting together on Friday nights and just gathering together just to worship and eat, eat some food together and just going, you know, hour, two hours and just worshiping and seeking the Lord together of their own accord, of their own 
desire for multiple churches. And I just go, man, there's something kind of just, just in my heart, I sense that there's something just brewing and, and stirring in G- Gen Z that God has something amazing he wants to do in, in them. And so I'm encouraged by that, encouraged by what you see as well. And I would say that with every, you know, with every season, there's just unique dynamics. And, and I think right now right. with the pressures that, that we feel just in our day and age, I mean, it really is an opportunity because I think the mm. pressures right now, they're, they're quite polarizing. I mean, it's mostly revealing of where our confidence is and where we're relying on for both our security and for our significance. And, you know, I think for a lot of Gen Zers who grew up in the church, this is really such a coming of age moment where they're coming out of their their homes that, that they were raised in. And now they have to choose, you know, is my confidence in job security and, you know, a college degree and economic mobility, or is it more that though things are uncertain and challenging with what's happening, that I choose to trust in in who my God is and what he says. And I think there's a movement right now around deconstructionism and you know, right. a lot of what's, you know, emerging is young people revisiting and deconstructing the faith of their parents. And, and it, it really, I mean, comes from this interesting place of pride, you know, it's, um, it, there's this term that Gen Zers say called, okay, boomer. And it's kind of this, right. you know, this generational slur, so to speak, where it's this dismissive attitude towards the older generation that is in leadership. And um, and in governance, and you know, at the, the top of the the food chain, so to speak, and and where the twenty year old is saying, we know better, and we're gonna deconstruct what we see, and deconstruct the gospel, deconstruct church, and remake it in our own image. And it, it really is, is this perspective, you know, it's it's very Disney. You know, when you watch Disney shows, you know, the the right. teenager knows way more than the parents, and. Right. We're seeing kind of this movement of, you know, these young people that, you know, are sincere in their faith, but also think a lot of the problems is because of who's in charge right now. So we will leave organizational church. We will abandon institutional Christianity and we want to do it our way. And I think, you know, in the midst of that, I think there's an invitation that the Lord says, you know, come and humble yourself, come yeah. and trust who I say I am from my word. And it really is just the invitation to not put our opinion perspective on the world, on the church, on, you know, how things are, and, and really just to trust and submit to the Lord's leadership. And so, you know, it, it's an interesting time where there's a lot of opinions and a lot of, you know, young people who have a lot to say. And I think in that the Lord's saying, incline your ear to me, listen to what I have to say. Right. Yeah, I think it's one thing to take the Bible as God's word and deconstruct your traditions that you've experienced that are maybe some of them not based on the word of God and not from the Lord. That's different than saying, no, I'm over God's word and I'm going to, like you said, deconstruct and then build something back that is in in my own image. So I think there's a healthy evaluation of what it means to really follow the Lord as submitted to him. And wanting to make sure what we're doing is right and pure and biblical versus saying, no, we, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. And now we're we're deciding if we want to pick and choose this verse or toss this part out or 
just totally abandon it altogether. And I, th- I think you're right. Learning to come humbly to the Lord. I mean, I, one of my biggest prayers for America, including this generation, is the fear of the Lord, that we would really fear him. Amen. Um, and, and, and just re- because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. I just believe we need wisdom in our nation. And, and that requires that we fear him and recognize he is God. We are not. He is sovereign. He's in control. And we come under yes. his authority and his leadership. You mentioned Malachi uh, 4. We did an entire episode with Alan Hood and Jeremy Duggins where we just went went on about the generations working together and how do you do that and some of the weaknesses and some of the wisdom that Alan had on how to how to be a spiritual parent and how to you know connect with a different generation serve a different generation and you brought it up too so it just seems to be a theme that that keeps coming up on the podcast here you know in, any tips for somebody that's watching i mean you you kind of gave some advice there for gen z maybe <laughs> humble yourself learn from the generations that have gone before you right what would you say to some of the older generations what would be some wisdom on how to turn your heart to the children how to, you know how can somebody serve gen z how can you know a 40 year old or you know a, a 50 year old or a, even a parent how can we participate in what God's doing in, in the younger generation? Any advice or encouragement for folks that are tuning in? Attention, pastors and ministry leaders. We want to invite you to an ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, Utah, July 26th through the 28th. This ATD Leadership Summit is for leaders from across America that carry a shared value of hosting the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer and gospel proclamation. Our Awaken the Dawn team will be hosting the event, including David Bradshaw, Matthew Lilly, and David Valier. When you join us for this summit, you will experience real and refreshing connection with like-hearted leaders in an informal, fun, and relational environment, including four free meals together teaching and training sessions catered to pioneering presence-centered ministry leaders, spirit-filled and life-giving times of worship, prophetic ministry, and prayer to refresh your heart, interactive breakout sessions and workshops to dialogue about practical ministry challenges, and a regional worship and prayer gathering the weekend after the summit. To learn more and register, go to awakenthedawn.com today. Again, join us for the ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, July 26th through the 28th. Register now at awakenthedawn.com. We can't wait to see you there. Um, you know, I think there's something so significant about us slowing down enough to enter into their world. And you know, mm, I just think about my kids. Um, you know, some of the things that my kids really enjoy are quite different than things that I enjoyed when I was their age, you know. My kids yeah, love probably. fishing and fishing is just not my jam, you know, All but right. <laughs> know them, you know, I, um, I know you're from, from Carolina and I, I was, I just, mm-hmm. I just was from Carolina and he was sharing with me how much he loved fishing, you know? And, yeah, um, yeah. but like a lot of it is me slowing down enough to actually go and be with them where they're at and, and enter into their world. And I just know that, you know, just, what, you know, we're talking about deconstructionism. I think so oftentimes when you're a parent or you're a ministry leader or a pastor, we're oftentimes very threatened when our kids or, you know, our youth or our young adults are asking some very 
they're asking questions that seem very scary, you know, about sexuality, yeah. about gender, about the inerrancy of scripture, about the divinity, you know, of God. Yeah. And just these things that we want to respond with great alarm and we want to convince and we want to, you know, be the, the 40, 60 year old that knows more and has more Bible and has, you know, like more convictions. And, and yeah. I think there's something to be said about us being slow to speak, being quick to listen and being mm -hmm. slow to wrath. And I know the times where I'm responding out of anxiousness or trouble or hurry. Most of the time, I mean, the fruit of that is that I'm actually not listening. I'm actually not loving well. I'm mostly wanting to convince and be right and prove a point and correct. And I think a lot of times, you know, giving young people the place and the space to struggle and to be there with them and to not fix mm. them and to not try to theologically, you know, correct them so that they have good doctrine, but, but really just be with them as they're wrestling and struggling through so that they know that you ultimately care about them and care about their heart versus their theology. Mm. And what I find is that, that if you're a father that's present, you know, I, I don't mean just natural father, but just a spiritual father, spiritual mother that's present, open, not critical, like where a young person can share their struggle with you and you're not going to mm. freak out. It opens up a conversation for them to actually, because there's a testing of the waters, right? They're sharing right, sure. level one struggle, right? And level one, if that alarms you, they're not going to share level two or three with you. Right. And there's lots going on, you know, in the teenage, you know, young college student heart. And I think there's a deep longing to be known and seen and to really to be fathered, you know, to have older ones come around them and wrap, you know, our arms around them and say, you know, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. But oftentimes we're trying to get them somewhere and we're trying to get them into something and doing something that we're actually not with them where they're at and loving them where they're at. And I'm convinced that if you go into their world and love them where they're at and really model the father's heart, what's going to happen is that they're, they're actually going to want to go where you're going. And mm. there's going to be a trust because they know that you care about them more than what they have to say or what they have to do. And so, so the, I think the, the be with factor is so, so significant, you know, yeah. and doing it from the place of humility with the fear of the Lord, you know, deeply prayerful, right? And just believing, contending for them in prayer, you know, having more say to the Lord on their behalf versus, you know, in, in a context and telling them how wrong they are, how much they need to do more or, you know, be adjusted. And, yeah. and so, so I think the reality of beholding, you know, just really seeing them, delighting them in their weakness and loving well, I mean, it goes massively far, you know, if we can learn yeah. to love well and, and not, you know, try to fix and not try to like, not try to mostly mold them into, you know, what we want them to be, there's going to be an open heart towards us where they're going to say, Hey, help me. I would love, you know, your input. Yeah. I I'm struggling. Tell me more. Yeah. Oh man. So good, Ty. That was gold. You said, be present be open and don't be critical. <laughs> I feel like that's just uh, so much wisdom. Slow down, be where they are, go with them where they are. And then they might end up going with you where you're going along the way. 
So good. So much wisdom. Thank you for that. And it kind of goes along. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the tagline you guys use for Luke 18, you know, revival is family. I don't know. I don't know how many of those t-shirts you you guys got made, but I've seen everybody all over the country <laughs> wearing the Luke 18 revivalist family t-shirts. But I, I love that. Revivalist family, you obviously carry that that father's heart and that value for being relational in ministry and and even in how you, you know, approach Luke 18. Maybe just riff on that for a little bit. You know, what does it mean revival is family? That's kind of an unusual phrase probably for, for some people. What do, what do you mean by that? And feel free to take some time. Yeah. I know this is deep to your heart. So, Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, the origins of it, it was a prophetic word that we were given back in 2014. It, okay. it was, you know, around the time of the call Berkeley. And, you know, it was a day after I was sitting with a friend, a prophetic friend, and um, she had this word, a revivalist family. And it was a very personal word for a while. You know, it, was, it wasn't something I shared. And then I shared it with our team and that really struck our team deeply. And, and, and then we just started getting these words about, you know, the blueprints for family, DNA for family. And that became a real significant word for our team. That was a culture and DNA setting word. And I remember as our team started just considering and mulling and and wrestling with with what the Lord was saying. I mean, we felt like the Lord was just so emphasizing that prophetic word that really translated into an ethos of how we build community, build culture. And to give a little bit of just some of our understandings of it, uh, it, it really isn't a theologic statement. It, it doesn't mean that that revival literally is family. But I right. think that, you know, it speaks to really the way that, that I look at it a lot of what we're believing for, you know, if we're wanting Acts 2 revival, you know, it really starts with an Acts 1 upper room praying family. That, there you go. that as you have this upper room family that is engaged in prayer together, you know, pursuing Jesus together, doing life together, and then pouring out in love together, that it's in the context of that Acts 1 upper room praying family that you see the Acts 2 revival. You know, we want Acts 2 revival. But oftentimes we don't necessarily want to do the Acts One family work, and right, you know, I think there's something so holy and something so special. I, we oftentimes want big, but we oftentimes don't celebrate and enjoy the gift of the small, and how oftentimes the Lord moves through the small. And yeah. as you're in community together, doing the consecrated life together of pursuing Jesus in prayer and fasting and worship and devotion. You know, and then doing the shared life together where where you're living in the vulnerability and celebrating together and weeping together and you know doing life on life, you know, the highs and the lows. And then the overflow of that is is being able to live the poured out life together where where we're giving ourselves, giving our strength in prayer together and mission together and proclamation together. I, I believe that context, that you know, the context of that you know, God word family bound together in love and, and the unity of the spirit, you know, is really the seedbed for where the Lord pours out his spirit. And we see revival oftentimes manifest from these companies of people that that are doing family together. And so, so I think revival, you know, some of the, the evidence of what revival looks like is John 17 family, right? I mean, when you look mm -hmm. at what John 13 and 17 
all of that discourse. You know, I think the highest expression of what revival looks like is this oneness that you know really is this work of the spirit yeah. that can only come about as the Lord gives us eyes to see each other where we're beholding each other from heaven's perspective. And so, so I think that revival comes, you know, in the Acts one upper room praying family context. But then the fruit of revival, it sure looks like this laid down, yielded family, yea, bride, that is one of spirit, deep humility, and united of heart and mind. Um, and so, so I think, you know, family is where revival's birth, but family is where where revival's going. And and right. so it's the the ground level, but also the height of of revival is family. And so so I think in all that, I'm I'm just challenged by how we do life, ministry, community, family, and, and the culture by which we do it. And oftentimes so much of our celebration is around impact and size and mm. reach and growth. Not that any of those things are, you know, not great, but that's oftentimes how we measure success is by yeah. the quantity of our ministry and meetings and, you know, production sure. versus the, the qualitative reality of how we, how we love well, where the Lord's planted and placed us. I love that. Yeah. That progression in Acts 1 and 2, it starts with the small group, a praying family, Holy Spirit poured out, and then you get to the end of Acts 2, and what are they doing? It's a big family, but they're still family. They're sharing with one another, and they're still praying. And that's the way the kingdom of God continues to move forward. That was insightful to me because I've seen the shirts, but I don't think I've quite heard you <laughs> share about uh, your heart for revivalist family quite like that. So I love that type. R yeah. Really good. And uh, you, you know, Awaken the Dawn and our heart is so relational as well. We love seeing the, the church come together. We really pray John 17, value the body of Christ, learning to love one another, care for each other, work together in a deep way. And I think you, uh, Ty, really carry something for us and for others as well in, in how to do that and how to do it with wisdom, how to slow down and mm -hmm. take the time to uh, focus on that quality, focus on the depth, focus on the relationships, and then allow the Holy Spirit to breathe on it and, and expand it in His timing. So, man, this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, I know we're, we're running out of time here quickly, but did you have any, uh, any, any closing thoughts that you'd like to just share with our Awaken the Dawn family? Yeah, I'm so grateful for you, Matthew and, and David and, and team. I, I just love the, the ministry of ATD and how you guys are really bringing the, the praying families around the country together, you know, to behold Jesus to love each other well and, and to, to gather in these, you know, whether it's tent moments or, you know, like yeah. um, big, small tent, big tent moments um, unto yeah. ministering in Jesus, loving each other and proclaiming the gospel. And, um, you know, as I'm thinking about all that we do, you know, that's so sweet and all that we do together, that's so sweet. I, I'm just really, you know, I, I'm really stirred that, that I wouldn't be in such a hurry to do all that, you know, is so good and so kingdom that I don't make time to love Matthew Lilly well and to love David Bradshaw mm -hmm. well, and and that we're not just loving each other side by side going somewhere, but that, you know, I'm taking intentional time to to pause and behold the glory in Matthew and to be able to, to you know, get the Father's heart for you and for, you know, the family 
the local and the larger family that he's called us to. And and I think that, you know, as the Lord's uniting and building this ATD, you know, family of affection, I'm just jealous and zealous that we would have just the constitution of heavenly love for each other, that that we would mm. enjoy each other, you know, and it wouldn't yeah. be merely just collaboration and great partnership and, and we're, we're going to do lots of tents everywhere, you know, that we would shift the atmosphere and change things and, but that even in what we're endeavoring to do together, that it, it, that it wouldn't even be about tents. It wouldn't even be about getting to stadiums and large gatherings, but, but that the fuse line of going somewhere together, you know, that, that just even that journey of getting to, to be together and to really like delight in each other and, and love well, I, I'm just stirred to love better and, and that I wouldn't be in such a hurry to get somewhere and to arrive somewhere that, that I'm not intentional to really, you know, as Heidi would say, stop for the one, you know? Right. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, th- that would be my encouragement is uh, I'm borrowing from Heidi, but, but, but just the, the gift of going low and going slow. And then I would add to what Heidi is saying by saying, behold, you know, that, that we would go mm-hmm. low where we don't love people just because of what they can do for us or what we can get out of a relationship, but, but we're going low because, you know, that's where we find Jesus and that we would slow down to actually behold each other well, uh, behold and love each other well. And so that's some of the things that I'm just really personally stirred by right now and wanting to do and grow better in, in terms of, of how we do life and ministry. That's good. I feel convicted, so thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, and in my experience, to me, <laughs> well, man, in in my experience, and in, in running into you and interacting with you, that you are embodying the things that you're encouraging us in right now. And in my experience, you you've always felt like you have really stopped and noticed and been there and felt present, and uh, and that's a gift. And it sticks out because it's honestly not always common. So I appreciate you encouraging in all of us in doing that. So thank you, Ty. We love you. Appreciate you so much, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We would love for you to hit follow or subscribe in whatever app you're using so that you can continue to get episodes like this every month. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor and please share it with your friends and post it on social media. Be sure to tag Awaken the Dawn in your post so that we can reshare that with all of our friends as well. If you're tuning in on Apple, please leave us a rating or review. And if you're on YouTube, give us that thumbs up like button and leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of today's episode. And we really appreciate it. Finally, please visit our website at awakenthedawn.com. You can find out more about our ministry and movement, and you can also make a donation to help support this podcast and the Awaken the Dawn ministry. Thank you again for tuning in today, and don't forget, Jesus changes everything.